Psalm chapter 129. Psalm chapter 129 verse 1 says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they affli- afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, which withered or with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaths his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Okay. Now this is a psalm, and a psalm that they would sing during a service. Can anybody else say depressing? I mean, just what what kind of a service can you be in and everybody's going, oh, they plowed up on my back. I know, exactly. I guess not every song is happy, cheerful, and exciting. Some of it's real. We live in a world where where the devil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy every stinking day. And I don't know about you, but I, I, over the years, I've, uh, I've gotten to the point where I just, I am so ticked at him. Because he is a coward. He doesn't show himself. He doesn't, he doesn't make himself visible so you can just actually punch him. He just attacks like a coward from the back. Constantly plowing furrows in your back. And you're... You see, if you sang that song three or four times... Jamie, put that to music by next week, will you? No, I'm kidding. I'm, I already did this oh, it's already on there. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even want to sing it. I mean, that's not a faith statement, is it? You know, it's not, it's not faith words. Those... That's that's uh, reality words, but here's the deal: we live in a real world, and in the midst of it, we're they're not going to say bless the Lord. The world's not going to say bless the Lord. the The enemy is not going to say bless the Lord. So guess whose job it is? It's ours. No matter what the situation, no matter how bad it gets, no matter anything, we're to bless the Lord. So this morning, let's do our part. Amen. Father, we come before you and we worship you. And Lord, we worship you out of whatever situation we're in right now. Father, we know that every situation we're in is not your will. Some of them are our own fault. Some of them are because of the fall. Some of them is just the way things are in this world. But through all of them, Father, we know the answer. We know who the answer is. We know where the answer comes from. And Lord, this morning we we shout, we declare, we praise, we worship because you are the answer. We glorify you. We say, bless is the Lord. 
And so this morning, Father, by the Holy Spirit, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't do a sound check. Testing one, two, there you go. You may be seated. It's a good thing that he's for us and not against us, isn't it? When you think about that, when you think about the fact that he is for us and not against us, that changes the game, doesn't it? My mom used to have one of those stickers. Um, can you reach over and turn the, the TV lights on? Uh, they're over further, over further to your, yep, further on, on there. There you go, perfect. There you go, a little brighter. More on me, more, no, I'm just kidding. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. My mom used to have a little refrigerator magnet. I'm sure you did too. There it said that uh, you and God are a majority. You know, it's those funny things that stick with you throughout the years. You and God are a majority. Praise God, He's for us and not against us. That is a very loaded statement. If someone is for you, what does that mean? Now, I'm not going to answer that right now. But we'll answer it as we go through the day. I always, I'm always uh, pleasantly blessed and surprised when the songs match with the sermon title because I don't tell Jamie what I'm going to preach. She must be listening to the same Holy Ghost. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. It says, When Jesus came down from the hill, great crowds followed him. Then a man with a skin disease came to Jesus. The man bowed down before him and said, Lord, you can heal me. If you will, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I will be healed. And immediately the man was healed from his disease. So last week we began talking about healing. And I said we're going to be talking about healing for some time to come. We're going to be uh, supplementing that at some point this fall, probably in December, uh, starting what work, what I'm going to call, for lack of a better term, because everybody calls it this, healing school. Healing school, talking about healing, teaching on healing. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I know through the, the whole process that, that Peter went through, there were a number of people speaking life and faith into his situation. I, you know, uh, we would talk and I would say, remember that there's this story of where somebody, you know, stepped out by faith and God came through. And you, you keep talking about, you keep putting those words of faith into a situation and it will reap a harvest. 
And so it's good to, to talk about faith. It's good to talk about healing. And, and healing is one of those things that uh, is the great separator. It's a divider because not everybody believes in healing. I know my own family, uh, my mom, went through uh, all the things that she went through, and many of you walked through me with me through that. And, uh, you know, she, she was convinced that healing wasn't for her. She was convinced that healing wasn't for today. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's great. My mom was a wonderful believer. I mean, she loved Jesus. I mean, it's the, she's the reason. She's one of the main reasons why I am who I am today. It's because she prayed for me. She loved Jesus. She loved the things of God. She loved the people of God. And that, you know, so it doesn't, you know, the fact that she uh, took a stance... It doesn't, and even though it's the stance again, you know, opposite of what I take, doesn't change the fact of who she is, who she was. Wonderful woman of God. But I don't believe that. I believe that healing is for today. I believe that healing is for everyone. And I believe that healing is for everyone all the time. And here's where we start getting that, ooh, wait a second. Wait a second. You know, are, are you sure about, wait, how do you know that? Why do you, why do you believe that? Why are you making that bold statement? And so that's why we're teaching on it. I, I've, I've had this on my heart for months, months and months, actually probably for about 10 months. And I've been studying and listening to the Holy Spirit and reading books and, and just, you know, I, because this is one of those things. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could talk about in the kingdom of God. And there's a whole bunch of things that aren't as, as, um, controversial as others why is it controversial because i believe the real reason the bottom line reason is because of misunderstanding lack of knowledge god said that my people perish because of lack of knowledge the more we know about something the more we know about the truth i also believe that there's a ton of things that have been taught about healing even in this church Uh oh Uh oh that hasn't been the exact right way that the Word of God explains it and, and shows it. It, it. There's things that have been passed down even by tradition that we just assume, well, we're just going to do this and, that, and then we expect it to work. And when it doesn't work, we go, well, see, it doesn't work. No. And, and that's not an indictment on anyone. We're all growing. I don't, I don't believe the same way about everything today as I did 20 years ago. I've learned some things. I've learned some things the hard way. I've learned some things the easy way. I've learned, but I have learned things. I've talked to other men and women of God who have said, you know, I don't, just because I believed it that way 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago doesn't mean I'm going to hold on to it forever, even if, if the Word shows me or if God shows me, the Holy Spirit shows me that it isn't that way. That's why it was so important that we started talking about truth months ago. Because it's about truth. What is the truth? And when we hold on to the truth, the truth sets us free. So what we're doing is last week I handed out a starting point. And if you have one of those, how many, how many still, put that in your Bible. Anybody still have that in your Bible? Grab that. If anyone did not get one, there are some back on the, the usher table. The ushers are busy doing what ushers do. But if you do not have one of these starting point sheets of paper, I encourage you to get one. Raise your hand. I see somebody who's, a couple people who are, are getting ready to grab one. Aha, hands are going up all over the room. I see that hand. I see that hand. Grab one of those 
because this is going to be something that we, we chew on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Because we need to have an understanding. We need a biblical starting point. Because if you don't have a biblical starting point, you'll end up in the wrong place. You have, you have, if you don't have a starting point, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna go to, uh, Colorado. I don't know why Colorado jumped into my mind. One of the most interest, one of the interesting things about, you know, you get a group of men together and you tell them, how, how do I get to Colorado? You know, if you have five guys there, you'll come up with five different answers. Oh, you gotta take Route 87. Route 87 is the best way to go. No, why would you go read it? You gotta take this route because that's the most scenic. Well, you gotta take, everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion about how to get to Colorado. <laughs> I don't care what you say about what route, the airplane is the best way to get to Colorado. <laughs> if we run out of those sheets of paper, there's more out on the, uh, the information desk. I printed some up. So, there's all kinds of ways. What is the truth? How to get to Colorado is obviously subjective. How to receive healing, how to experience the answer to what you, your need, what, what God has given you, is not subjective. It's, it is, it's the Word of God. So what do we do about it? How do we get there? And keeping in mind that those who have gone before us, even the ones who don't necessarily agree with us, or me, or our, our point of view, doesn't mean that they're wrong, that they're evil or bad. It means that's what, that's the light they walked in. Okay? Oh, hallelujah. Starting point. I read through this whole thing last week, and I'm not going to read through the whole thing today, but one of the first point I want to make and what we're going to talk about today is the very first line. It doesn't matter which side of the piece of paper you start on, both say God is sovereign. Doesn't matter whether your starting point is on the brown side or the starting point is on the green side. It doesn't matter. The starting point is God is sovereign. What you need to decide though is what's the definition of sovereign? What is sovereign? There are two very opposite definitions or starting points of God is sovereign. Now, before I take another step forward, the ushers, all those who are so graciously grabbing pieces of paper, there's a stack back there of doctrines. Has that been handed out already? You guys are amazing. Sorry about that. There's two pieces of paper per handout. So... Two pieces of paper. Make sure you each get two. There should be four pages total. How many of you were involved in 2014 when we went through the year of doctrine? Quite a few. Remember these pieces of paper. You remember these sheets of paper when we're talking about doctrine? We, we handed out these. These are, are, this is just tons of information that you can research on your own, keep going through, look up the verses. Everything I'm going to talk about today is on here. Uh, not everything that's on there I'm going to talk about today. I don't have that kind of time. We don't have that kind of time. But it's good to study to show yourself approved. And so this doctrine statement, we're talking about God is sovereign. So what is sovereign? 
Let me read a couple of verses real quick as they're handing that out. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and elders had said to them, And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together and said, to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Revelation 6, 9 says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Those are two verses, two verses that use the word sovereign out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. The English Standard Version is the version I usually preach out of. Many of you are starting to carry that or study out of it yourselves, but that is out of the ESV. There are only four times in the ESV where the word sovereign is used. There are only eight times in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, where the word sovereign is used. In the King James, there is no use of the word sovereign. In the, in the NIV, there are many, two, over 200 times, but every single time that the word sovereign is used in the NIV translation, it's talking about, it's translated Lord or Master. Lord or Master. So what is sovereignty? I want to read... And you're, it's on this first page. There's a, there's a n- number of things I'm going to read on the first page. But I want to read two different teachers, two different points of view. First one is by John MacArthur, who is a wonderful man of God. Wonderful man of God. Wonderful teacher. And he says, No doctrine is more despised by the natural mind than the truth that God is absolutely sovereign. Human pride loathes the suggestion that God orders everything controls everything, rules over everything. The carnal mind burning with enmity against God abhors the biblical teaching that nothing comes to pass except according to his eternal decrees. Most of all, the flesh hates the notion that that salvation is entirely God's work. If God chose who would be saved, and if his choice was settled before the foundation of the world, then believers deserve no credit for their salvation. John MacArthur, you can reference it, you can look that quote up. I want to read a second quote from Andrew Womack. He says, I believe this is the worst doctrine in the church today. I don't need to go any further, because it sets the stage. You have two completely opposite views. You have one group of people, one camp, saying this this is the doctrine of the Bible. This is the most important doctrine of the Bible. And then you have someone on the other side saying this is the worst doctrine in the Bible. Both are believers. I've seen, seen and heard the fruit of being believers from both of them. Which one is right? Do you feel the tension yet? There's tension. Why is there tension? The tension is, and I'm just going to be honest, it's because you don't know. Because you don't know. You've never had to deal with it, really deal with it. 
You've never had to, you've never had it bounce against this, this, wait a second, I thought what I believed was absolutely true. Whichever side you're on. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I will, but I'm not yet saying which side I'm on, which side our church is on. Sovereignty. I grew up hearing my whole life in the church I grew up in, God is sovereign. And we were taught God is sovereign in every way. And I had no reason to dispute it. Why? Because I had never been been challenged with any other thought. So then, I went through my whole childhood, my whole teens, my whole senior high life, and then I walked away from God. Ran away from God. Tried to get as far away from God as I possibly could. And when I came back, when He, he miraculously, graciously, supernaturally grabbed a hold of my life, and allowed me to come back to him i didn't i was i started out going to that same church but the more i read the word and the more i studied the more i listened to teachers the more i was like there's some things here that i that that don't add up the way that i i first looked at them is god sovereign what are the two definitions of sovereign. Why are these two men of God so far apart in their definition of sovereign? And why does it, why does it matter? What does it really matter? It really matters. Because if you continue on reading what John, I'm sorry, not John, Andrew Womack says, he says, I know that this is a shocking statement. This is a shocking statement and it is near blasphemy to some people. But the way sovereignty is taught today is a real faith killer. The belief that God controls everything that happens to us is one of the devil's biggest inroads into our lives. If this belief is true, then our actions are irrelevant and our efforts are meaningless. What will be, will be. If we believe that God wills everything, good or bad, to happen to us, it gives us some temporary relief from confusion and condemnation, but in the long term, it slanders God, hinders our trust in God, and leads to passiveness. What is doctrine? The reason I told you that I grew up in a church that taught doctrine, that taught uh, sovereignty is because I, like I say, I heard it forever. I heard it, I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. It was taught to me in every class, in every age level, in every grade. So I think I can come from a, a place of somewhat knowledge, somewhat authority in, in, in addressing that side of this discussion. Sovereignty. Sovereignty is that God is utmost. God is the highest. God is all-powerful. God is absolutely, 100%, always in control of everything that happens. 
Anybody who grew up that way, am I doing all right so far? Yes. Brian knows he grew up in the same kind of church I did. That's what we were taught. And, and here's the thing, that doesn't sound wrong, does it? That doesn't sound bad. God is ultimate. God is in control. You heard Peter say it today. God is in control. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything. All of those things are true. So why do we have a problem? That's the problem. If you carry that teaching in that continually, continually moving towards that teaching in that direction, you will come to some final conclusions. You have two opportunities. One is God is absolutely control. Everything that happens is His desire, His will, His purpose in our lives. And that you have nothing to do about it. There's nothing you can do. I'll take the veil off. We're talking about Calvinism. Calvinism. Calvinism, the tulip. Total depravity of man. Unlimited grace. Unlimited grace? Unconditional. Unconditional grace. L. Limited atonement. Only some people will be saved. Some friend of mine posted on Facebook. says, Calvinism. Some lives matter. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I was, I was going to get the video, put, it, put the picture up, but it, it's too much. Limited atonement. Only some people will be saved. I, irresistible grace, means if he desires to show grace towards you, there's nothing you can do about it, you will be saved. And P, the perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved for lack of a better term. Tulip, Calvinism. That means that everything, God is in control of everything. There is no way, shape, or form that anything happens outside of His will. So that means if everything is out, it happens inside of His will, then we go on to the next step that God is good. Do we agree that God is good? That's actually, on, I think, on both sides of the sheet of paper. Probably isn't in order, but God is good. Calvinism then would say, or Reformed thinking would say, that if everything is God's will, everything that God does is His plan, everything that nothing happens outside of His plan, and God is good, then that means that everything that happens in your life is good. Right? That means all the good things that happen, finding your wife, having four children, Six children, 19, what, eight, seven, seven, seven children. Some people tell me it's the low-hanging fruit that I, you know, it's just, I, I take the easy ones, I'm sorry. That whatever, or two children because the wife almost dies and you decide, you know what, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna have any more children because they, the doctor tells you that the next child you have, you're, she'll die. So we're, we're, it's God's will we only had two children. That whatever happens is good. Even, I mean, if everything is everything, then everything is everything. Sickness is good. Sickness is good because it comes from God. God gives you sickness 
Now, just, I know. This, I, you know, I, just, just to, like I say, pull the veil back completely. This, right, right this point, right now, this moment in my teaching career, I think is the most awkward moment I have ever felt in my whole entire life. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Why? Why? Why is it so awkward? Why is this so hard? Why some of you are, are, are being actually torn inside? It's, it's hurting because, wait a second, you're, we're, we're, we're talking about something because it's that important. Understanding who God is is that important. Understanding how God operates because Whichever side you decide to start from will take you to two completely different places. And I'll just be cheeky here and say, it's your choice. For those, for you doctrine people, if you're Calvinist, you don't believe I have a choice. It matters. Why? Because you'll end up in two different places. If you believe that absolutely everything that happens to you and everything that happens to you is from God and everything that happens to you is good because God is good, then your divorce is from God. The death of your child is from God. Sickness is from God. Poverty is from God. Loss is from God. Sincere, wonderful, amazing, believing people have used this train of thought to say things like, and I quote, I'm so, God, I'm so glad God took my child because I was putting my life too much into my child and I wasn't honoring God to the level that He desired. And so he caused my child to die to bring me closer to him. No. If it's God's will for me to have this tumor, then I'm going to honor him in my death and how I die. And I quote. These are people I've heard with my own ears say these things. And I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that's true. I believe we live in a world that is fallen. I believe we, I believe we live in a world where sin, death, Sickness and theft do exist. They do exist. But they got here not of God's perfect plan, but because of His sovereignty. Now wait a second, John, you're, you're starting to talk in circles. No, I'm not. 
Definition of sovereignty. The dictionary defines sovereignty as paramount, supreme, having supreme rank or power, independent, a sovereign state, excellent. But we don't go necessarily by the dictionary's version. Where it's translated in the Bible, I said earlier, in the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, it's just the ones I checked, it's talking about lordship or mastership, being the master. It's a title. Every time it talks about it, it talks about him being the master or the lord of that person. When they would talk to him, they say, O sovereign lord, meaning my master, lord of everything. It was a, it was a title that, that they called God. And that is true. God is supreme. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is good. He's all the things that we've, we've said already. It sounds like I say we're talking in circles, but we're not. The difference being, which is the next on the green side, the next statement, God created a creation and a partner with a free will and all the responsibility that goes with it. In God's lordship, in his mastery, in his all-powerfulness, he created creation. He created the earth. He created the skies. He created the moons. He created all of it. In his power, he created it. And in his power and authority, he created all the animals and everything in it. All the, all the species and all the plants and everything. He created it. And in his masterful, his lordship, he decided he was going to make man in his image. He chose that. He could have made us look like a giraffe. But he already had a giraffe. He said, I want to make man in my image. So he's, or in our image, actually, if we want to talk completely theologically, our image. And he made him, made man to look like us. And then he said, I give you the authority. I give you dominion over the earth. I'm putting you guys, you guy, in charge. You subdue it. You rule over it. You tend it. You take care of this world that I'm making for you. You're in charge. God set in motion that day a spiritual law. And that law is He gave us authority over the earth. He set in motion all kinds of laws. The laws that, the law of gravity. Things fall towards the earth. And if you go to Jupiter, things fall towards Jupiter. Maybe not as fast, or maybe it's faster. I can't remember what. All you science geeks. Yeah. It's, of course it's way faster because it's a larger body and it has a greater gravitational pull. I know, okay? I know, I know. But it's a law. It's, it's what happens. He talked about setting into motion seed time and harvest. This will continue on until I return. It's a law. that You, you plant a seed, it will grow. 
Unless, of course, yeah, <laughs> I know. Some of you guys are going, well, I planted some seeds and it didn't grow. All right. As long as you follow the laws of planting seeds correctly. There's all kinds of laws. When he put it into motion, then he stepped back to let his creation have dominion, have authority. And then what did we go and do? We screwed it up. We screwed it up. God didn't screw it up. We screwed it up. Adam screwed it up. But none of us can go, well, Adam screwed it up. It's his fault. No, we would have screwed it up too. Well, but God knew he was going to screw it up. Did God know Adam was going to screw it up? I love it. See, you're going, I don't know. He's all-knowing. Yes, he knew he was going to screw it up. But then why did he do it that way? Because he wanted someone who was truly free will. Free will is not free will unless you have a choice. And how you act upon that free will is your choice. Because it's free will. Man screwed it up. He turned, he, he believed Satan's lie. He believed Satan's lie over God's truth. And the moment he did that, he brought a curse on the earth. And that curse keel, keels. It kills. It kills, steals, and destroys. It brought a curse, and that curse brings sickness, death, and loss. Entropy. Isn't that a big scientific word that means continuous degrading? I don't know. Atrophy. I think tendency towards chaos, entropy. Thank you. We're, we're tending towards chaos all the time. And it was getting worse and worse. At the flood, God said, I have to destroy them because every thought and every intention of every human being is evil. All the time. Every thought, every intention, every act, everything they were doing, they had gotten so bad, chaos had gotten so bad, he goes, that's it, I'm wiping them out. And then when he brought, he, he saved, you know, through Noah, he saved everybody, got everybody through that flood, he got the, well, that family, and then they started growing again. He came down to see their tower and he goes, they're, they're doing it again. The only way that he stopped it was he confused the speech. We couldn't communicate anymore. And I just, I am enthralled with all of the documentaries. I was watching one last night. All the documentaries, all the, everything that everybody's trying to do to cause communication to be seamless between every human being every time. We, we gotta get this communication back. Why? Because we're being held back from our potential. It's a side note. Man made a choice. Now, did God make man make the wrong choice? Was it his real choice or did... I know. I know. 
That's why we're done for today. Because your mind has now been... So here's what I want you to do. Don't take my word for it. Please, don't take my word for it. Study it for yourself. Start studying. Start reading. Start researching. Because this is important. If we don't have the right starting point, we can't even talk about anything else about healing. If you, we will come to two different places. We have to make a choice. Let's all stand. Father, I thank you, Lord. It's not about my opinion. It's not about what I think. It's not about what any of us think. It's about what you think. And Lord, you are Lord. You are God. And your word says that if we seek you, we will find you. If we search for you with all of our heart, your truth will be revealed to us. So this morning, I submit all of this to you, Father. If there's anything, anything that's, that just doesn't fit, doesn't work, if it's, if it's wrong, if it's a lie, let it fall to the earth and destroy, be destroyed. But Lord, I pray that you'll open up the, the, our mind's eye. You'll open up our heart. You'll open up our spirits. You'll help us to understand truth. Show us this week, Father, as we study ourselves, as we continue to delve into your word, what is truth? If it doesn't line up with what we think, change us. Change us. Change me, Father. Help us, Father. Help us, Holy Spirit. Lead, us, lead and guide us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen.